I was a uh, practicing clinician working in a home health agency model. I wasn't allowed to dose my patients as per best practice guidelines. So I said, there's gotta be a way to do this better. My, my grandmother and my grandfather, I started seeing them going in and out of long-term care. It started personal seeing the sick side of 80 and now it's been exciting to be part of Fox. Light bulb moment, like that's a complete game changer. You can see what we can do as a practice and as treating clinicians to really make 80, 85 look so much different than it did back that long ago. And boil it down into one say, it's quite simply this, it's be stronger, live better longer. Welcome to Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast, the podcast dedicated to clinicians who work with older adults. My name is Jim Shear, and today my co-host is, I feel like I could leave right now and then just turn the podcast over to you. That's how much confidence I have in you. Today, my co-host is Fox Physical Therapist, Adra Vellucci. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that vote of confidence this morning. No, like, you, you, if you weren't so busy, I feel like you could host this podcast. Well, I'm going to try to be the best guest I can be. How about that? <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Now, some people may be saying to themselves, hold up. This is OT month. Why do you have a PT on? Well, because April is also Autism Awareness Month, and we wanted to talk about autism before the month ended. Yep, absolutely. All and right. I like I like to think of myself as a PT living in an OT world. So happy <laughs> OT aware, happy OT month to everyone. Because you, you don't hate the OTs. You love the OTs. They're my favorite people. Right? Yeah, for sure. We're, we're still celebrating <laughs> OT month. All the time. There's a, there's a <laughs> lot of things happening in April. So, but we did want to have a nice conversation about Autism Awareness Month because I feel like during these months, like we'll shout it out and that's it. And I'm like, no, we got we got to dig a little bit deeper. So, for you, what does Autism Awareness Month mean? For me, my I have an 18 year old son. That one hurts to say out loud, but I do. Um, and he was diagnosed with autism when he was about two years old. So he was always a bit colicky and had ear infections and a little bit delayed across the board. So he was diagnosed with autism really young and started out in early intervention, um, has gone through the gamut of outpatient therapies and all of this. And so my world ended up enveloping all of these other humans with autism and all of these other caregivers of humans with autism. And it has opened my mind to how big this is and how much bigger it's going to continue to be as these still in my mind, kids grow up and move into different different parts of their life and different parts of their world and how we're going to interact with them as healthcare providers in something that we used to think of as like, I don't know, pediatric disorder, but it's not. And like my world revolves, my autism awareness is every dang day. So, yes. um, you know, how we deal with and how my kid and other kids get to interact in the world. So that's what, that's what this month means to me. So what do you hope people take away from autism awareness month? For me, honestly, my biggest hope is that people understand, you know, it's, it's, it's a word. Everybody knows this word now. Like it's nothing, this isn't nothing, this isn't anything new anymore. Like early 2000s, it was kind of like, huh, what's going on? And why are all these kids talking about this? But now it's becoming this public health thing. It's not just a kid's thing. And I think that what I hope to take away from this is that we all learn 
a little bit more and take some time and interact with people who are affected by autism so that you may learn how to interact with those people with autism a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can we break down the terminology before we begin? Sure. Is it someone who has autism, someone living with autism? You wouldn't call someone autistic, would you? No, that's, that's not technically a nice word. I mean, you know, I'm, it's so funny because I'm in like a couple of different groups that talk about this. And there are some people who will still, people with autism will call themselves autistic. And they're like, that's cool with me. Like if that helps people understand how I interact differently, like that's okay. Um, And I think in the world that we live in now of trying to be more aware and diverse and inclusive, being asking someone how they how they prefer to be spoken about, I think is good. But it is a diagnosis. So I would always say like a person with autism, a person with autism. Would you say a person diagnosed with autism? Do you have to say diagnosed or a person with autism? I guess I don't know the answer to that. I still talk about my kid as a person with autism, like not diagnosed with autism, but with, because it does affect him on a daily basis and how he interacts with the world. So it's not, for us, it's not just a one piece. It, it, it ends up umbrellaing, is that a word? Umbrellaing y- so yeah, much Yeah, that's a, that's a great word, yeah. which I'm going to yeah. use in future podcasts. Okay, deal. I like it. I'm, I'm going to trademark that. <laughs> <laughs> and then autism, do we call it a disability? It is a developmental disability okay. is what it is, is what it is called. Yep. And the main symptoms of it, like to get that diagnosis, you have to be, you have to have deficits in social communication and social interaction. And you have to be, um, have restrictive, repetitive behaviors or interests or activities. So why do we, when we have conversations about autism, the outside world, why does everyone uh-huh. think it's just a pediatric disorder? Is it because, yeah. like you said, we only started talking about it maybe 20, 25 years ago? I think it is. I mean, it existed before that, for sure. But the prevalence numbers of it blew up like to, in like 2000. It kind of just went crazy. Because people um, were properly being diagnosed with it, right? Which probably wasn't happening years ago. Right. And I think that, you know, a lot of people will talk about and there was like, there was a great movie about um, a famous person with autism, Temple Grandin, and she is an incredible animal behaviorist and how her parents were able to help her through her autism journey so that she could then become a very successful adult working with autism. So I think a lot of people, and, and once like Hollywood brings it to the, to the limelight, it certainly helps a lot. Also. Then everyone knows um, about it. And everybody knows about it. But those kids that were diagnosed in 2000 are... 22 now, right? So now they are adults, they are in the adult world. um, And they will start to come to different healthcare providers as grownups now, whether or not their parents will still be with them as some version of a guardian. But these are these are grownups, and they're going to continue to age, and we're going to have to continue to treat them as healthcare providers across the board. Yeah. And do you have prevalence numbers? I do. So in 2000, the numbers were one in 150 kids were diagnosed with autism. And generally, and I think the other reason why it's a pediatric is like, that's when it's usually diagnosed. I have come, I've started to learn a lot more people and been introduced to people who ended up getting di- diagnosed in their twenties uh, and thirties, but 2021, it was one in 44 kids. Wow. That's crazy, so wait, right? That, so it like, went from one in what? 150? Yep. To one to in 44. One in 44. An increase of 
240%. Now, why, why do you think there's that jump? And we would just be speculating right now. Yeah, totally speculation. I think that, you know, I think the diagnosis criteria, as long, even though they're specific, I think that they can be very generalized. I think that there are kids who still need help and getting <clears throat> through like early intervention and through therapy treatments, they can get better. So I think that it's a way for parents and physicians to help kids through getting better. So I think that that's kind of why I think that we've become more aware of what it looks like, more aware of what those long-term effects are, more aware of saying, you know, of giving a kid a diagnosis, maybe able to help them get more services and get better and all of that stuff versus maybe it was just like a kid who talked really late or a weird kid or, you know, ways that we used to think of, Mm -hmm. of different people who had different behaviors than we did. So, you know, autism as a mother, can I talk about it Mm -hmm. as a clinician? So when you're going through school and when you're treating patients, how much are you taught about autism? So I went to school, I graduated back in 2001. So, you know, I think that we, we touched on it some in our peds class. It was not what I wanted to do in my life. I, <laughs> I'm not good with kids. I'm really not. So like pediatrics was never my interest. So I certainly didn't focus on that, nor did I do any of my clinical rotations with kids. So I don't really know. I will always say that when a clinician so comes to interview with the practice, if they have, if they have experience with kids with autism, it very often easily translates to treating some of our patients with dementia. This, the same types of behaviors, the same types of interventions and keeping things functional and keeping things patient-centered and giving them time to process verbal and tactile and physical cues, um, being able to make things fun. It, I think that it's very easy for those pediatric clinicians to make that jump into treating patients with dementia because they've had to interact with people in a different way. So. Because I, I was reading up on this yesterday, and it said that there's not a lot of research for older adults who have autism. Because like we said, it's something that might not have been diagnosed back in the 40s and 50s and 60s. So you don't have a lot of research to fall back on. Yes, we are a research-based group of people, right? But I think, like I said, we are we've become really good at treating people and treating a specific person and looking at them and seeing how, where their deficits lie and how we can get to them from, from different standpoints. You know, speech therapists will work really well with kids when they're little, working on helping them gain their language. And I think, and occupational therapists certainly have worked with kids with their fine motor skills and with social skills and group activities and things like that. And PTs, obviously, with with walking and if any of those types of deficits are occurring in balance and strength. But, you know, we still break it down the same way, whether we're dealing with a, a little person or a big person. Right. We're still breaking down and looking at what their strengths and weaknesses are, where they where they need more assistance, how we can help them become more independent. So I, I don't think it changes um, whether you're treating a baby or a grown adult. I think it's still the same. Let's look at the person, figure out what they need and, and make changes to them and to their environment so that they can succeed the best way that they can. I did write down some other stats for you, which I thought were pretty interesting. So there are so many 
people with autism end up with about 10 to 15 other comorbidities and or co-diagnoses, which is pretty amazing. Now, do you know why that 40, is? I don't. Is it specifically related to autism? Like 40% of them are non-speaking. So like that's a big percentage of people that you're going to have to find a different way to communicate with. Now, non-speaking doesn't mean they're non-communicative, right? Two very different things. That doesn't mean that, and especially in the adult population, I am assuming that at this point in someone's life, we have figured out a good communication system for them. Whether that is, there are some very simple systems with with pictures that people point to, there are more high tech systems on iPads and um, you talk, you again, look at pictures and they talk out loud. My son has a system like that and we program in what he wants to say. And then it says it out loud for him, which is great. So there's a lot of different communication systems. Sometimes it can be as simple as like for years, we use a simple tapping system in my house, one tap for yes and two taps for no. So like if he wanted something or didn't want something, that's how he communicated with myself and my husband. So Again, I'm hoping that at this point, people have had some version of a communication system in place, and they are willing to share that with us as their providers. So that's one thing. 40% of these people have anxiety. Again, where does that anxiety come from? And anxiety is a tough one because like in every population, are you anxious because you have autism or is autism cause you to become anxious mm -hmm. or has the way that the world has has communicated with you, made you anxious. So all of, there are a lot of different reasons for that anxiety and how we may be treated. But as, as clinicians, we have to go in and be able to understand that if this person has anxiety, how are we going to decrease that anxiety? How are we going to get our, our session and our function accomplished? Understanding that we're living within that world of anxiety also. And then and again, anxiety to... jacks up all those other health conditions. Absolutely. Everything. 38% of them have seizures. Again, are we, are the seizures under control? Is that something we need to be looking for? How do they present themselves? What, um, what could be a triggering factor? Could we be triggering a seizure? So all of those things, again, having those conversations and understanding that 53% have sleep issues. Are we scheduling ourselves at a time when we can treat a person where they are as rested as possible. Can we help them with their sleep issues? Maybe they need more physical activity and that will help them be more fatigued at the end of the day and sleep better. So having those conversations, again, of realizing what is causing those sleep issues, can we have an impact on them in the long run also? And then the, the final one is 50, almost 50% 50 of people with autism wander. That is a scary number to me. So when you're walking into someone's house, or home or group home or wherever they may be living and understanding, again, that heightened sense of security that could be happening in people's places. Because I've walked into some of my friends' homes that have, to me, what feels like an overwhelming number of locks on doors, inside doors, outside doors, alarm systems, all of these things, because they need to be alarmed if, if their child gets up and wanders in the middle of the night or anytime throughout the day. So being cognizant of those things certainly will help us make sure that we're keeping ourselves and our patients safe when we're in their homes. All right. Yeah. So let's, let's take a break. I have a, a couple more questions to ask you. Okay. Couple more about autism and then one not about autism. Okay. All right. So we're going to take a break more with Audra Vellucci next on Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. Here at Fox Rehabilitation, we are continuing to celebrate Occupational Therapy Month. 
And we will end OT Month with an exclamation point. The Fox Talks webinar series is coming back. You may remember we kicked off Occupational Therapy Month with the Complete OT Part 4, and we are closing Occupational Therapy Month with the Complete OT Part 5. It will be hosted by Brett Herman, Fox Occupational Therapists, Olivia Maltempe, and Sawyer Deligan will present. Olivia will present on the Eight Dimensions of Wellness, and Sawyer will present on Maintaining Sexual Function. So if you would like to attend this webinar, go to our website, foxrehab.org, and right there on the landing page in big, bold letters, you will see the Complete OT Part 5. Click on that link to register. We are back on Fox Rehabilitation's Live Better Longer podcast. I am hanging out with Fox PT during OT month, Adra Vellucci. But we're having a great conversation about Autism Awareness Month. I think I think if someone listens to this podcast, they're doing something for Autism Awareness Month. They're expanding their education. They're listening to a conversation you. about it. And hopefully after this podcast, they have a conversation about it with someone else. I hope so. So I wanted to talk about your son, Dominic. Fox yeah. Rehabilitation every year. We put a team together called the Dominators, tip of the cap to Dominic, and we do a polar plunge in the dead of winter. This year, this year, the Dominators raised over $3,000 for the Special Olympics because your son is a proud Special Olympian. Coming from a non-pediatric background, I didn't know really much about the Special Olympics until we were you know, I started meeting, meeting families and understanding where, um, their kids spent their time out of school and the special Olympics kept coming up. So we, uh, it's been about, uh, eight years now, I think. So he was about 10 years old when he started in the special Olympics and he started on an incredible swim team in New Jersey. And it was, I don't know that there is a more exciting place to be than a special Olympics sports event. It is so empowering for every person in the room, every athlete, every family, every coach, everyone in the room, I swear, walks away with a huge smile on their face and cheering for absolutely everyone in the room. I, I truly have never seen an event like that. So the one year I started, I, I decided we were going to raise funds and the biggest fundraiser for the Special Olympics is the Polar Plunge. Mm -hmm. So so the Polar Plunge, again, happens across the country. So yep. a lot of different states will have the Polar Plunge. Uh, the one in New Jersey, as well, one of the two in New Jersey are at Seaside Heights and it is in the dead of winter. It is in <laughs> February, um, which seems crazy to run into the Atlantic Ocean in February. And I mentioned it to a few of my friends, my colleagues at Fox, and our first team the first year was myself, Romeo Gallo, and his family, his wife, his kids, they all came and we ran into the ocean together. And it has grown from there. 
I was unable to attend the New Jersey Special Olympics Polar Plunge this year, but the team showed up and even bigger than ever before. Uh, so now there are colleagues coming from across the practice to join. And I think that it's fantastic. All right. So last question. Um, Audra Vellucci, I don't know if you've ever been told this, but you're cool. Like I met you oh, on a team's meeting and then we met in person and I'm like, yeah, like I just cool. Has anyone told you that before that you're cool? I don't, I don't know that anyone's ever told me that before, but I'll take it. <laughs> I, I met Snoop Dogg. He walks into a room and you're like, like he's cool. Like you get why he's Snoop Dogg. I have certainly never been compared in a sentence to Snoop Dogg. I, I also met Rihanna. She walks into a room. You're like, yeah, she's cool. I get it. You're cool. I'll take it. So Snoop I need and to. Rihanna, I'm in good company. <laughs> so I need to know, and I've asked this question a bunch on this podcast because it's something near and dear to my heart. What kind of music is Audra Vellucci into? Oh my goodness, that's a great question. And and does it sound like so corny to say? It really depends on my mood, and it depends on the season. That's um, that's a cool answer. Right now. All right. End I of am... end of April. End of April. Going into May. What are you feeling? End of April going into May, I am usually feeling some like some Buffett vibe, mm. right? I'm definitely, yeah, some Jimmy Buffett's got to get the summer kicking and, and when the weather starts turning. I don't know. There's some times that I am very into country though. Okay. I, right now I'm into country. My husband just made me a, probably one of the best gifts. People used to do mixtapes. They don't do mixtapes anymore. They do playlists, right? The, well, the, the, a, the fact that you shouted out a mixtape makes you cool. Oh, thanks. He made me a great playlist for when I cook. And he made me a mob music <laughs> playlist. Which was a mob huge music. Which was a huge album in the early 2000s. Yes. Can't really find like the album itself, but he made a mix yeah. of all different kinds of music when I'm making like pasta and bread and sauce and stuff on the weekends. Yeah. Audra, thank you so much for the time today. You have to come back. I'll come back. For Thanks, for, Jim. P, for for PT month. All right, PT month, I'll be back. Yeah, you'll be I'll back find for something PT to month. talk about for PTs. All right. So enjoy enjoy the the rest of OT month. Great conversation today about autism awareness month and then uh I'm sure there'll be a whole bunch of Well, no, May is better speech and hearing month. So we'll we'll celebrate sure the SLPs in May. So thank you, Audra. I'll come talk about the SLPs too. Okay. So for <laughs> Audra Vellucci, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yins later.